Today on The Balanced Word. I think that we would be delusional to think that this temptation that was happening in Thyatira is not something that we still wrestle with. Because within each of us is a desire to see something big and flashy. And in fact, we would love to see people drawn to Jesus as effectively as possible. But we can't decide to do it in a way that he didn't do it because the message that we have to preach ultimately is a message of eminence. How do we communicate that as opposed to communicating a message of selling out? Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and exalted here today. Welcome to The Balanced Word and our continuing series on the seven churches of Revelation. Pastor Dave Rolf will be along shortly and we'll meet up with him at the end of Revelation chapter 2. There's a temptation the church faces today that the church of Thyatira encountered, and that is to focus on image, become big and flashy, self-promotion, and turn people into products. But that's not the heart of Jesus. Rather, that's the heart of a false prophet. So let's see how to properly represent the Lord here in part two of Image and Ministry. What I'm suggesting is, perhaps, that, and you know, you can disagree with me, it's fine, but this seems more plausible that this woman is speaking in this church, and maybe she's even saying good things, but there's something about the way she is presenting it that causes them to sell out, that causes them to make compromises, that causes them to do exactly the opposite of what a follower of an eminent God would do. They are trying to become relevant. And some of the other, they're the smallest city of all these seven cities, so it's like, come on. We need to do the things that other people are doing we have a world that we need to compete with. We need to find God, you know, ways that we can capture the modern technology and technol and the methods in order to make ourselves more attractive. If that was in fact the message, you could see how they would fall for it. You could also see how it's something that God would say, that is not what I'm about. I am about carrying a true message of an eminent God. And I communicate that in particular ways. And I don't want you to get the idea that putting somebody in there who's flashier and more appealing and who actually herself becomes kind of an idol, because really Jezebel in 1 Kings, and the other thing about, about this woman is she calls herself a prophetess. She's self-anointed. She promoted herself. Just as Jezebel in, in 1 Kings, her husband Ahab was king. But she moved in and took over with power. And she led him around. And she ultimately, I mean, she was a horrible nightmare for Elijah and putting hits out on him and everything else. But it was all in the name of, I'm doing what's best for Israel. I mean, so you can see using... Her image as a reminder is just like this, just like Jezebel. You elevated yourself and you are promoting something that runs completely contrary to what God is actually doing. You have the true 
prophet of God who is saying, God's upset, it's not going to rain for three and a half years, and, or it's not going to rain until I say so, and you're like, no, that's not right. In fact, I'm going to kill that guy, and then it'll rain. So in this case, this Jezebel is coming into the church and is saying things that are different than what God is actually wanting to say in a way that contradicts what he does. And the ultimate sacrifice is you may enhance transcendence of God, but you lose the eminence because he is no longer being represented in a way that he desires to be represented. And so he goes on, Jesus goes on and says, I gave her time to repent of her fornication, of her selling out. She's a sellout. I gave her time to repent. Now, again, if she was literally having sexual relations with everybody in the church, can't imagine him going, I gave her time. (laughs) So obviously it's something more than that. She did not change her mind. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. And again, not literally committing adultery with her. She sold out, talked them into selling out, unless they repent of their deeds. I'll kill her children with death. That's pretty severe. I mean, I kill your children kind of covers death, but he throws that in. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. That's another indication of what he's talking about. He doesn't say... I am going to destroy her so that every other church will know not to commit fornication and not to worship idols. But it's the idea with his piercing eyes, I see your heart. What's going on is something here that's going on in the heart. And he says, I'm going to destroy it because I see what's happening underneath the surface. I see what's happening behind your your good talk and your celebrity and But he says, I I search it, I'll give to each one according to your works. Now, to you, I say, most of you, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, not this immoral practice, as many as don't fall into this teaching, who have not known the depths of Satan. The depths of Satan, What what a phrase. How would you describe the depth of Satan? Like Satan at his core is what? Well, I would suggest to you that, you know, when you read the Bible, you find out that the depths of Satan is the pride that made the devil the devil, as C.S. Lewis says. Lewis calls pride the mother of all sins because pride is what made the devil the devil. Every other sin is minor and every other sin happens because it started with the depths of Satan. That's why Jesus could talk to the Pharisees and say, you are of your father, the devil. You're following his pattern. He wasn't saying that, you know, they got possessed at a rock concert. He's saying that pride that's the most evil, destructive force in the universe is what's making you who you are. And so he says, don't don't do that. Don't fall into that. Hold fast what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And then quoting Psalm 2, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. He goes, I get that you want to be a big shot. 
I get that there's something inside of you that wants attention, that wants more, that wants to be a winner. But he's going, your day will come. But that day is not now. Right now, I need you to be eminent to represent me as the only eminent God that there is in the universe, as the one who humbled himself and gave himself, you know, gave his son to die for people. That message is so important. Don't worry. You don't need to be a celebrity. Someday you'll be a great celebrity for all times. You'll sit on the throne. You'll rule and reign with Christ. But right now, that's not what you're supposed to do. That will count, go counter to everything that I want to do. Hold fast. I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he goes, it's all going to be okay in the end, but right now I need you to understand this. So what do we make of this? How do we make sense of this? I mean, I, I think that we would be delusional to think that this temptation that was happening in Thyatira is not something that we still wrestle with because within each of us is a desire to see something big and flashy. And in fact, we would love to see people drawn to Jesus as effectively as possible, but we can't decide to do it in a way that he didn't do it because the message that we have to preach ultimately is a message of eminence. How do we communicate that as opposed to communicating a message of selling out. Now, we know that there are false prophets everywhere. Jesus told us to be ready for that. And when he was, you know, in the Olivet Discourse, he goes, lots of false prophets are going to come along. And it's interesting that false prophets, where they're so predicted in the New Testament, and yet it's almost never when they're described, they aren't described based on their bad doctrine. Because the truth is, we all have bad doctrine. When we get to heaven, we're going to go, how in the world did I think that? Why did I believe that? God isn't threatened or encouraged by people who have good doctrine as opposed to people who have bad doctrine. That's not the most dangerous thing at all. I mean, you saw in Ephesus, like, you're losing your love, so everything else that you're doing doesn't matter. And in Thyatira, it's, you're selling out but the worst thing is not what you're saying. He doesn't, he isn't really explaining all of the theological errors of this woman. He doesn't say what part of, you know, that, that the, the pastor needs to be the husband of one wife do you not understand? It's like, that's beside the point. That's not his issue. What he is saying is you better get this. If you're going to represent me, a false prophet, one of their greatest indicators is that they are like a pagan prophet drawing attention to themselves. They are self-promoters. They are hustling. That's why Peter, when he listed the characteristics of a false prophet, one of them is that he said, by feigned words, they will make merchandise of people. They turn people into products by fake words. Now, why is that a sign of a false prophet? Because God needs people to represent him who are not simultaneously promoting themselves as they promote him as well, convincing themselves that somehow they're representing God 
when they think what God needs is a guy like me to really push him. And talk about feigned words. And Pastor Chuck used to talk about this all the time because it's so common. And it's more common now. Chuck would be rolling over in his grave, but except he's in heaven. But, you know, if he saw how much today people are being hustled by merchandising people, marketing people. I had a, I got an email this morning. I was going through my emails, and there's one from a, a political candidate who, who wants to be president, and the subject matter was John 3.16, and I thought, huh, this should be interesting. So I read the email, and dear Dave, I'm like, wow, that's neat, cool, I, I don't, I've never met him. <laughs> and he's like, you know, when I was in college, I went to a meeting, and I heard John 3.16, and I became a born-again Christian, so please send me money so that I can become the president. And I'm like, I wonder if he sent that same email to atheists. I wonder if he sent the same email to even Mormons. Or I'm sure he had a different one for Catholics. He, he knew who I was. He's marketing me. And ultimately, he's using the gospel in order to try to get money from me. That's what Peter says, that is false prophecy. Now, I don't have a political axe to grind. I, as far as I'm concerned, they're all hustlers. They're all crooks. But when you start messing with the gospel, that's where I get concerned. Because I don't want somebody marketing Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want people marketing him. Like it or not, he says, it doesn't work that way. The message that I'm giving is a message of an eminent God. And an eminent God needs to approach you in a real and a sincere way without a hustle, without promotion, without making yourself look good. Pagan gods surround themselves by people who are impressive. The true God is a God who promotes himself by people who are close to people. That's why Paul talked about when he wrote about when he first came to Ephesus, he goes, I came to you like a regular guy. I was just working. I was talking to you. I was with you every day. I was connected to you. That's the essence of ministry. It's why, like, even in the years when Calvary Chapel was just so huge, always it was interesting that Pastor Chuck always wanted to be around people. It isn't because he's gregarious or he was an extrovert. He was an introvert. He would... You know, if he was going his own preference, he would just as soon not talk to anybody. I mean, there were times when I drove in a car with Pastor Chuck for two hours and neither of us said anything. And we both loved it. <laughs> but he understood, I'm representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would always talk to people. He would always go to the back door, all three services, and I would be there watching him. And then finally, when physically it got too hard, He'd be in his office, but if anybody wanted to talk to Chuck Smith, they could, and he would read his emails, and he would do, and it's like, he, he wanted to be that guy because he represents that Lord, and I remember, and I'm sure I've told you the story before, but when somebody, uh, Chuck came after church, and he goes, well, look at this, some girl that works at a tailor shop gave me this, and it was a coupon for two $2,000 tailor-made suits over by South Coast Plaza at this place. And I go, wow, are you going to get some new suits? Because he wore these cheap, off-the-rack suits, double-knit, didn't fit. And so he laughed, and he threw the thing in his trash. So I 
went to grab it, <laughs> and he grabbed my wrist, and he took it and he tore it all up because he deliberately didn't want to be that guy. Chuck loved Cadillacs, but he would never buy a Cadillac because he just thought, oh, you know, I don't want to look like that. Finally, here, so he would get Oldsmobiles because it was kind of like a Cadillac, but it didn't have the stigma. <laughs> Finally, when somebody died and they had like a nine, 10-year-old Cadillac and they wanted to give it to Chuck, and I remember him talking to me and going, I don't know, man. I go, you've always wanted it. Now somebody gave it to you. And he goes, I just don't know if I want to be representing Jesus and be that guy driving a Cadillac. And I go, Chuck, a Cadillac hasn't been a rich person's car for 20 years. <laughs> it's an old person's car. You're going to be fine. And he drove that car the rest of his life. You know, I love that. I'm not trying to put a trip on people who drive nicer cars. I mean, some pe for, to some people, my Tacoma would be considered a nice car. And I'm also not like, there are some people who are naturally good looking. You go, it's easy for you to talk like this, Dave, because you're hideous. And <laughs> I get that. It's the way it is. I, sometimes it gets even worse when I, when I go to the dermatologist and they burn stuff off of me. People can't figure out why I still record the one-minute messages. I had somebody this week tell me, wow, it looks like you got in a battle with somebody with an ice pick. And, Thanks. But <laughs> see, if we're going to represent a real, eminent God, we need to be real and eminent. And if we begin to get too clever and become too promotional. Now, admittedly, it works. It people eat this stuff up, especially, and see, it's one of those things where for scams, it always hits like in Thyatira, the working class. It's the people who aren't sophisticated enough to really understand what's happening, that you're being hustled, and you think that this guy actually knows who you are and is appealing to you. You think that this ministry that has over a billion dollars in assets is going to go under if you don't send them your $10 out of your social security check. It's the people who can afford it the least who fall for this stuff, and they know it. And that's why Thyatira was a sitting duck for an approach like this. Because like, man, these people just work every day, and they're willing to fall for this. They're willing to follow a celebrity problem is, if we want to represent an eminent God, we can't be that way. A.W. Tozer once said one of the best things, he said lots of great things, but he said, you know, people who tell a lie and make it sound like truth are dangerous. But even more dangerous are people who tell the truth and make it sound like a lie. If you tell the truth, but it sounds like a sales pitch, it sounds like a hustle. It sounds like every other thing out there. That can even do more damage. It's important as we represent Jesus Christ to know we are representing him for real. We're not, this isn't a hustle. This isn't a game. This isn't pretending. We deliberately should make sure that what we do, that the sense that people get from our ministry is something that feels like real. Now, as a result, certainly you can get more people by giving away a bunch of free stuff, by putting on a big show, by 
promoting like crazy and using celebrities to do it. But I suspect that the Jesus who wrote to Thyatira would go, it's not what I want you to do. I don't want you to appeal to people that way. Because what they will see is, wow, God's great, and you're great, and I'm just like a supporter. God wants people to understand that he is with you, that he is in our lives. God has been with you all along, and he is so close to you. He is not closer to me than he is to you. He is not closer to Christian celebrities than he is to you. In fact, Jesus said, I'm with you always. And he said, you're actually better off once the Holy Spirit comes into you. That's all of us. Once you understand that you don't have to go anywhere or experience anything or buy or sell anything in order for him to be close, now you're beginning to understand who God really is. And that's why I see here in in Thyatira, Jesus is going, I see what's happening. And I want you to understand, ultimately, I will deal with it. But if I haven't dealt with it yet, it's because I'm trying to be patient. I'm hoping you'll figure this out. And what the truth is, the greatest things that I do are not the things that I do through celebrities. Greatest things that I do are the things I'm doing in your life every day. And it's so important that we come to understand that. And if you're here and you're not even, you know, you've kind of rejected Christianity because it just looked like another scam, looked like just another cult. The truth is, he's been with you all along. He is with you. He loves you. He's somebody who can work in someone as flawed as you are. Oh, is he going to make you famous? Probably not. And you'd be better off if he doesn't. God doesn't make people famous. People make themselves famous. People make other people famous. What God makes us is faithful. He allows us to just do what he has called us to do. And that God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you would understand, wow, it's all about sacrifice. It's all about a God who, yes, he's over the whole universe. And he's right here, right now. That's what Jesus was communicating, I think, to Thyatira. Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with our pastor and Bible teacher, Dave Roth. We're developing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call us and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or go to thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can also watch them on Instagram or Facebook by following CC Pacific Hills. We'd love for you to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45 and 11.30. 
Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. And you can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Can we pray for you? Just contact us through thebalancedword.com and leave a prayer request. Or again, call 949-362-7475. Now let's wrap up our program in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And as much as in our culture, we would think that we just need to do it bigger, better, fancier, and then we could really make you famous. But we look at your example, and it was never, never that way when you healed people, told them not to tell anybody, when a crowd would gather so you would leave, when ultimately you were rejected by almost everyone, and you said, I have done everything that the Father has called me to do. Thank you so much for being faithful because your faithfulness means that every one of us can fit in what you want to do. God, if there's anyone here today that thinks you're a long ways away, I pray that you would help them to understand your eminence. You're right here, right now with each of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next time on The Balanced Word, we give attention to a dead church as our look at the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation continues with Pastor Dave Rawl. This program is brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul, wake up.